Hello, Line Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Line Cook Thoughts Podcast. On this episode, I get to chat with my friend Rachel Vasquez. I've known Rachel for a couple of years now, uh, but we really started to become closer friends uh, this last summer when we were in the Farmer Table Concentration at the Culinary Institute of America at the CIA Greystone Campus. And, you know, I mean, I think about people who I just really enjoy talking to, really enjoy bouncing ideas off of, just really enjoy in general being around. Uh, Rachel's one of them. Uh, she's always been passionate and she's always been just a, re- like a truly like real person who has her goals in her mind and she's going to do what it takes in order to make those goals a reality. And, you know, it's it's been so cool to watch her kind of create uh, this account she's been doing on Instagram called The Sustainability Gangster, which is probably the best Instagram name out there, to be honest. Uh, basically, it's an account focusing on, you know, how can we be better about being more sustainable in the culinary industry and our lives in general. And she's been posting some pretty uh, great content. And what she does with her work, how she's trying to help children in schools get better school lunches. I mean, you know, it says a lot about her character and what she's in this industry for. And I think, you know, we had to have a discussion in this podcast about um, how it's not the most conventional path to take after going to culinary school and how it might not be the most glamorous and how it might not be a Michelin star restaurant job or it might not be with a highly elevated restaurant group. But I do think that Rachel has embodied what it does mean to be a chef, someone who is going to change the lives of others through food. So I wanted to have her on. I wanted to share her experience and I wanted to share her thoughts on the industry and also just on what it means to be a chef and what it means to, you know, you know, she definitely has dreams or goals in some way to do the stuff like fine dining and be in a really nice pastry program. But right now she wants to dedicate her year uh, feeding children and elevating their dining experience in their own schools and lunches. And I just think that's so honorable. And I think it just shows a lot to who she is. So, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you to the listeners of Line Cook Thoughts podcast for tuning in this week. I really hope you all enjoy. I know this is out a little bit later this Sunday, but I hope you all enjoy either way. And like I said, if anything, please go follow her on Instagram at the sustainability gangster. And if anything you get from this podcast, know that it means there's more to being a chef than just sharpening knives and using, you know, your best skills in the kitchen to put out beautiful food in terms of a fine dining aspect. There's also that part of it where you're here to feed others and educate others. And if we're not the ones educating the community, who else is? If the people who work with food day in and day out aren't trying to educate the next generation, then who else is? And that's the question I have for you, and I hope this podcast sparks something in you in some way to go help or at least question what it really is or what it means to learn about food in our current school system and uh, what we what we try to promote in this country. So I hope you all enjoy, and thank you so much for listening. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ray. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Long time no talk. I know. Um, before we get into it, if you just want to introduce yourself to Line Cook Nation, tell us a little bit about what it is you do, where you're from. You know, we'll get into that stuff first. This is making me nervous. Okay. Hello, Line Cook Nation. Um, my name is Rachel Vasquez. I went to CIA with Ray, actually. Mm-hmm. I did the baking and pastry program, and then I stayed and did applied food studies 
with a concentration in farm to table where I met Raymond. That's where we met. Yeah. And, and what is it you do now? And now I'm working for Food Corps, where I'm serviced at an elementary school in the South Bronx and serviced with a organization called Children's Aid. Okay, awesome. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but first, I wanted to just, uh, you know, know where you're from, what food was like growing up for you. So why don't, why don't you let us know where you're from? Okay. Well, I'm from a small town in New Jersey called New Milford. It's right next to Paramus and Hackensack. I've been. Yep. Good times, man. Good times. I lived in New Jersey for like two days. Um, good times. Okay. Anyway, so food for me growing up wasn't anything that it is now. Um, it was kind of just what was easiest for my mom to make. My mom had um, two jobs, and then my dad worked in the Bronx as well, and he didn't get home late, so it was mostly my mom trying to make dinner really fast, when sometimes I'd have dinner at, like, 4.30, and everyone else was like, what the, like, all my friends were like, 4.30, you're having dinner? Like, that's so weird. But yeah. it was just, like, totally normal, just because my mom had to go to work. Um, yeah, I actually uh, had dinner at 4.30 as well growing up uh, for a different reason. My grandfather was an Italian um, person. I mean, more Italian than I am. I'm, like, I'm Italian and Polish, but I think... Okay. Well, he, he was just a really Italian dude, you know? Um, and he uh, he would always want to eat at like 4.30. And so we'd always eat dinner at 4.30. And then I would uh, be hungry later on. And Yeah, that's, yeah. I'd always be so hungry after. Like at eight, I'm like, oh, I'm hungry again. It's a terrible time to eat dinner because then you have to eat like a second meal. Yeah, exactly. It's not and really. I'm pretty good. sure that's why I gained a lot of weight when I was a child. So hmm, I feel that on a spiritual level. <laughs> I used to wear like gaucho pants all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, okay. So when you think about these meals, what were like? What were some of the foods you were eating? Um. Okay, so my family's Puerto Rican, so we'd have like. Some Puerto Rican food like arroz con gandulas, um, definitely butcher. What was it? So, so it's just rice with pigeon peas, and okay. we have that. My dad would make baked chicken, which is literally just chicken with a shit ton of adobo on it, and then he'd put it in the oven, and then it'd be really dry, and you'd need like a lot of water. <laughs> my mom's favorite was making hamburger patties that were already like what's the word, like pressed, and then yeah. more liberal on that, and then a piece of iceberg lettuce in between right, like white bread, so it, like the roof of your mouth would just have that white bread stuck to it. It was really, it was gross. <laughs> well, so you make it sound appetizing, yeah. and um, I mean, so when did you start to realize you wanted to be into food? Um, That's a good question. You know, it I doesn't think- seem like you, I mean, it seemed like, I'm sure you had good meals, but it didn't seem like anything really jumped out out at you at a young age. So I guess what when did your interest start to happen? Um, let's see. For my birthday, I got an Easy Bake Oven. And that was like my favorite thing in the entire world. And then also, I kind of like lived near the woods, but not really. So when we'd go outside to play, like me and my neighbors, I'd always want to make like mud pies and like a bunch of random like food. But really, it wasn't food. It was just like me chopping wild onions and I think that's where it like really started because I just had fun with my easy bake oven 
And mm-hmm. then my grandma likes to cook a lot. My grandma's really good at cooking. And she's always the type of person that gives you way too much food. So you'd have like a plate of just rice. And then you have a plate of like chicken. And then like tostones, which are just um, plantains that are like mm-hmm. fried. And yeah, so she'd make a lot of food. And I really think my grandma inspired me the most. That's nice. And was she like, did, did you cook with her? Did she teach you a lot? Or was it more of you just eating her food? Honestly, it was just more of me eating. Like, I really don't know, like, how I got to where I am, I guess. I have to think yeah. about that. Hey, I mean, I'm the same way. I didn't know I wanted to be in the industry until I was in the 11th grade, junior year of high school. Um, yeah, that was kind of yeah. like for me, like junior year of high school. Definitely was when I was like, I'm going to go to culinary school. Did you go to a vocational school? No, I did not actually. Really? So you just decided that you were going to go to CIA? Yeah, that's exactly it. I was just like, I'm going to go to culinary school because I like to bake. And I wanted to be a vet, but then I thought about having to put down animals. And I'm like, okay, never mind. I can't do that. (laughs) That was just way too intense for me. Like, I literally cry all the time when I see a homeless dog. So, Um, yeah, I went to check CIA out. And then I went to see, like, Johnson & Wales. And I just really liked CIA better. That's my personal opinion. Um, And then also... When I first started at CIA, I had to get six months experience. I don't know about you. Did you have to do that? I had it already. Oh, okay. So I had to go get experience. So I was literally like a fetus in the culinary world. And then my mom met this lady whose husband went to CIA. And she was like, hey, my best friend is a chef and she needs people. So my mom's like, oh, my daughter wants to be a chef and she can come work for your friend. So it turns out her best friend owned a cafe in my town okay. called Garden Cafe. And that was my first job. Nice. And what were you doing there? Um, I was literally just kitchen help. And I helped help. with like breakfast. And honestly, like I had no idea what it was like to be a chef. So it was her trying to literally teach me. Like she taught me how to like chop an onion and she taught me how to make soups and how to do breakfast stuff, like omelets and eggs and different types of way to do eggs, I guess, like poached eggs and fried eggs and over easy and all that jazz. And um, I do like sandwiches and salads. So it's pretty like low key. It, it wasn't a really big kitchen either. It was just me, her, and then Sometimes there'd be other chefs there, but nobody was actually like trained to be a chef besides her. They kind of were just like, they fell into that position because they needed a job, you know? Okay. Well, I mean, it definitely had probably had some impact on you and got you ready for the CIA because, you know, taking away the experiencing was very controversial for the school. Um, but, you know, there's nothing that can compare to actually working in the industry. So that's, I'm I'm glad that you did that and that you got to go out and experience that. Yeah, me too. Definitely helped me to get ready for CIA, I think, and to realize that. What um, what uh, like, what are some restaurants you like to go to uh, before you came to school? Before I went to school, oh my god! When I thought of restaurants before school, I would just literally go to like Bahama Breeze, and I thought that was the shit. I'm like, ooh. 
What is that? Bahama Breeze. It's kind of like Olive Garden, but it's like Caribbean style. Oh, yeah. Olive Garden was definitely my favorite restaurant. Yeah, Yeah, that and Cheesecake Factory. That was also one of my favorites. You know, I've only been to Cheesecake Factory once. Really? There's a nice one in Paramus by... um... (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um, No, I've never actually got to venture over there. Um, Uh But... Yeah, Olive Garden for me. What else? What else did you like? Um, I don't even know. I didn't really like go out to eat that much. Like with my family when I was a kid, like going to Applebee's was like kind of a big deal. And now Applebee's is like. Bleh. Yo, Applebee's was a big deal for us too. No. You get the spinach artichoke. Yeah, the spinach artichoke dip. Those chocolate meltdowns. I think that's what the fuck. Yeah. Nice, cool. And so, you so you we've kind of had the same like uh, background, I guess, of food. Um, yeah. You know, like good solid home cooking from some people, and then chain restaurants, and then we go into culinary school. So, what made you get in? What made you choose baking? Um, I don't know. I felt like baking was more of a challenge for me because I enjoyed baking, but I didn't really know how to like I'm trying to think of exactly how I can word this but basically I used to think like box cakes were cool and I'm like I'm a baker because I use box cakes and then I started to realize oh like making things from scratch and like how like much of a difference that was Mm -hmm. so I enjoyed baking more because I can give that to people like I can give them cookies and brownies and cupcakes and I couldn't really make someone a meal and give it to them unless they like came over. Okay. That's kind of a cool reason to get into it. I just really like to give people food. It's like fun for me. Hmm. It's interesting. And then, so how was your time at the CIA? Um, it was a rocky start to be honest. Um, I had some difficulties trying to like make friends and it's like a lot of girl drama. I don't know why, but girls have so much drama. So that definitely happened. And then I took a break for a little bit. And okay. I didn't go to school for like six months. So I ended up working at Whole Foods for a little bit, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I applied to like a regular college and I was just going to go as undecided and then figure out from there. I did not know that. Yeah. So I almost went to regular college and I was like so for it. And then I was like, okay, what am I doing with my life? Like, I really like to bake, and why am I letting people stop me from finishing my journey? So I had a lot of people that were very inspiring, like Priscilla, my best friend, and my roommate. Mm. Um, She was like, come on, like, you got to come back. I need you here. So Priscilla definitely helped me to come back to CIA and finish the year. And then that's awesome. I never thought I would have stayed for bachelor's, but then I ended up staying for bachelor's and I really enjoyed it. And that's how I met you. <laughs> yes. Who were some, uh, what were some impactful chefs that you had at the CIA in your first two years? Um, first two, honestly, like the second year coming back was a lot better for me. So I honestly remember that more than the first um mm-hmm. definitely chef coppage like i have really bad anxiety and i don't know for some people it's different for me i like blank out when i get really nervous 
um, I was, it was like practical time and I literally forgot how to fold. I mean, not fold, how to do hollow. Like you had to do a little knots or whatever. And I couldn't remember, like my mind went blank. And I called Priscilla in the pantry room and I'm like, Priscilla, how do I do this? Like, I can't remember. I don't know why. Like my hands are just not doing it. And then I literally failed the entire practical because I panicked because I couldn't do the holla. And then after that, I somehow made the moose cake upside down. I don't even know how I did that. And then because I like failed those two things, I failed the entire thing. Like I did fine with truffles the next day, but I did so bad. And then I started crying because I was just so embarrassed. And I'm like, everyone probably thinks I'm so stupid. Like, how did I even build this upside down? So I'm crying. And then Chef Coppage sees me crying. So he runs over to me and he's just patting me on the back. And he's like trying to hide people from seeing me cry. Cause like, obviously there's windows. So people are just like walking by seeing me cry. So he's like trying yeah. to see me from there. And then he gets me like paper towels to like dry my face up. And he's just like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. You can redo it. No big deal. And, oh, my God. Sorry. My dog's trying to play with me. Um, You're fine. <laughs> so he was like the – I'm going to have to take that. Hold on. So he was like the only chef that really was considered, I guess, of anxiety issues. Most chefs, if they saw me, like, crying from anxiety, they'd yell at me and be like, why are you crying? Like, you don't need to cry. It's just butter or something like that. But really, it's not – I'm not yeah. crying because of butter. Like, I'm crying because of other things. Like, I just get really overwhelmed. And a lot of people who have anxiety will understand that. It's not just like, oh, I'm crying because I messed up. Like, there's a whole thing to that. It's like, oh, I'm crying because I'm embarrassed. Like, I can't believe I did that. And just, like, so many other reasons that, like, a lot of people just – don't see on the, you know, outside perspective. So. Yeah. Yo, I mean, like a lot of people don't, um, don't get it how anxious this like industry can be. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many things that could be affecting you at that moment and it all could come out just for messing up a simple Yeah, thing. exactly. So to someone, it might just be like, oh, whatever. But like you said, anxiety yeah. is different. So you really yeah. helped me out a lot. Um, and then, like, there's the bread chefs that were really cool, like Chef Elker. He was cool. Um, i trying to think who else, honestly. I actually had, I think, really impactful, like, teachers and chefs in Bachelors because like, okay. they really listened. Like, um, Professor Castora, she's awesome. And mm. I really appreciated her. And then there's Dr. J., um he's yeah. really cool too, obviously. And I'm trying to think who else. I feel like I'm forgetting people, but I just can't think. I'm like drawing a blank. It's a lot of people. Um yeah. Oh but Chef Pfizer, definitely. Chef Pfizer, yeah. I was gonna say she was very impactful. Yeah. I think on all of us. Um so I mean what was the decision to stay for bachelors like? Like when did did you just decide right as AOS was ending or um honestly Priscilla and I wanted to do the Italian concentration. Uh, I did too. Yeah. So we, we really wanted to do that, but then it was full. And then I was yeah. like, why don't we just do farm to table? Cause then we can go to California. I'm like, Party time. So <laughs> we we're doing applied food studies because that was the shortest bachelor's 
and then we can do farm to table and still be done in time. So yeah. that's why we both were like, all right, we're going to stick this out together. And then um, that's why we did bachelor's and specifically applied food studies. Okay, cool. And so, well, I mean, I know we spent a lot of time in farm to table, but what was that experience like for you being out in California, cooking and learning and meeting all those purveyors and producers? Um, Honestly, it was just like super mind-blowing for me because I don't know how to say it other than like my mind just opened up in a different way about thinking of food. I guess I just learned how to like appreciate food more. And I think what was really cool was that we had to like cook with what we had. And even though that was kind of hard to do that, it was definitely um, something that really makes you think about where your food comes from and how you get food and all the people behind the scenes that you don't really think about and all the hard work that they put into it. Once you see it from that perspective, I just felt like I got like a better understanding of why we should appreciate every little detail that goes into food. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just so much like, you know, maybe like this industry isn't always about fine dining. It's more like there's so many things that there's so many people you need to rely on to make what you want to happen as a chef. And it doesn't matter if you're a cafe or three Michelin star restaurant, you rely so much on the people around you. And I think a lot of times we take a lot of farmers and producers for granted. And we don't know that like, if they didn't do that, like it would be extremely difficult for us to even put a menu together. Of course. And I think that's just something you don't really think about until you get there. And also even like seeing cows, for example, and I guess I know it kind of like sounds bad, but like seeing like the behind the scenes of like the industry of like meat production, um, Mm. that was super impactful too. Cause it's just making me more cautious and like aware of what's going on. I think it's bad. Like, I mean, that, that's the reality of it. That's how we get our meat. I mean, and that was a pretty, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of like just being a good facility, it was like good, you know, but like, that's how it is when it, you need to feed a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I had that, you know, we were at, at that one farm with all the broccoli rob and I was like, a lot of people would think this is like too much and maybe it is too much, but at the end of the day, these, these people are here to feed others across the country and to support chefs and like, it's also hard to like kind of paint them as the enemy when you kind of see them firsthand just trying to make a living and feed the country. Honestly, because then also like they're trying to make money and they're trying to feed their own family. And yeah. I think what's hard is like a lot of people just judge those farmers for choosing the crops that they choose, like being a part of that monoculture. But at the end of the day, if someone had like a family to feed, it makes more sense to produce corn than to have a farm where you have multiple things, but you make $10,000 a year. You can't do something like that. No. Yeah, definitely. You can't get mad at them. It's just like the whole thing needs to be changed. That way everyone is benefited. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of your origin story. I want to get into what you do now or the work you do, or I guess the issues you're trying to work on and that's school food. So tell me what got you passionate about getting into helping, I guess, repair the system we have in place for school food lunches. 
Um, okay, that's a good question. No one's asked me that before. So when I was in Applied Food Studies, I heard about Food Corps, and I didn't really know what it was, but I always wanted to work for a non-for-profit. Like my sister used to go to like do Habitat for Humanity in other countries, and that really inspired me to like want to help other people. And then I heard about Food Corps at school, then I looked more into it, and then I realized what exactly it entailed. So basically, right now, it's like hands-on lessons with kids. So that would be if you have a garden, then you do um, gardening classes with the kids. Um, You can take the produce that you have from your garden and do taste tests. That's what I do sometimes. Um, Cooking classes. Basically, like me personally, like everyone has a different experience in food core, but me personally, I push into classrooms and I do different lessons. So for example, third grades learning about the community and they're starting with their own community and then branching out to like China and Peru, for example. So I went in and I taught them like an applesauce recipe and how important it is to like use different apples because in the aspect of the community, it's like everybody is different in a community, just like there's different apples and then we all come together. So making Mm -hmm. kids like really aware of where their food comes from too. So kind of like what we did with farm to table but just like a lot more basic and we're serving okay. communities that are normally aren't served like underprivileged communities. Yeah. That's why I'm in the South Bronx and basically like you have to apply. It's a pretty long procedure. Um, but it's cool though. Cause I went to Portland and I had an orientation there and then I came back here and I started in August. So I'll be here until July 15th. Nice. Awesome. And I mean, it's, it's cool. It's honorable to see like, you know, where most people are going, getting out of culinary school and going to like, you know, either fine dining or whatever. You're, you're very passionate about the subject and you're going after that. And it might not be the conventional path that everyone's taking, but I do think it's cool that you decided to do something a little bit different and you're helping people out. But I think you're going to look back at this time and more than most, you're going to have immense pride in what you're doing. Um, And I I do want to get into like the school lunch, uh, I guess, issues, because that's something I really touched on this podcast. But, you know, school lunches in my Um, school were terrible. And I mean, I don't know what your experience was like. Yeah, definitely. So what do you have? Like, what do you remember? Well, I mean, so I guess I have a story. i when I was in high school, I had to do like a two week internship for the vocational school. I didn't have a car and no one would drive me. So I had to do it in my school cafeteria. And it's just like, it's crazy the parameters that were set. And I mean, I don't know as much about it now, but I remember there was a day where we were making, uh, the, the main dish was grilled cheese, which is a terrible, uh, source <laughs> of food. Just, have a child eat and then sit in the classroom for so long but anyway the it was like they had to meet a certain protein level or they had to meet a certain uh nutrient level and the only way they can meet it with the grilled cheese is if they put four slices of grilled cheese or slices of american cheese on the on the bread so literally every grilled cheese had to have four slices of cheese to meet the nutrient level and that met the standard that was in place for the school for the school lunch I'll never forget, yeah. like, crazy. Like they had, like that was a standard. 
and then you would spray with like nonstick spray the bread so it wouldn't stick. Like the actual bread. Like it was just crazy. It was like this was the standard that was set. And I was like I was my I was mind blown. I was like, I can't believe it. But I mean my school lunches, like Friday was pizza, Thursday it was spaghetti. Um and then the rest of the week it was just garbage. I mean, breakfast there everyone would get breakfast pizza and chocolate milk. Um I mean it was it was yeah. disgusting. I mean, it tasted amazing. I loved breakfast pizza. I, sometimes I still crave it, but like, uh, <laughs> what breakfast pizza? I've never. I don't know. That. We had this breakfast pizza that I I don't know what they did, but it was it was literally amazing. Um, I would get it almost every day, which is why I gained so much weight in high school. But that being said, <laughs> it was so, it was so good. Um, but it was like the worst thing you could eat to start your day. It was literally pizza with gravy as like the sauce, like. Breakfast gravy and then sausage and cheese, which sounds gross, but it literally everyone ate it at my school. It was like the uh, like caviar, if you will, for people at my high school. We like it was like a, like if you had breakfast pizza that day, you were you were thriving. So, oh okay, well now I want to try this breakfast pizza. Maybe you can make. I don't think you do. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> taking years off my life. Um, <laughs> What uh, what was food like for you in school? Um, my mom used to make my food sometimes, which just consisted of peanut butter and jelly, like literally every day, because that's what I love to eat. Yeah. Okay. I mean, sometimes my, I- my mom used to pack a lunch for me too at some points. Um, but I don't like once I got into high school, it was more just like eating in the cafeteria. Yeah, when I was in high school, it was just kind of that, or I'd make my own food and then bring it. Or when I was a senior, we had like a free period. So I had my free period right after lunch. So I just go home and make my own food. Really? That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. One of my first memories of food, probably in my life, is being in preschool and this my teacher's mother bringing in uh, like 60 pack of McNuggets for our lunch. And I was in preschool. Dang. I know. I'll you never so forget. Remember- so hyped about those. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hype. It was cool, but it's crazy. Like yeah. looking back, and like now that me and you, you and I, and a bunch of us have the knowledge of what food we should be eating and whatnot, it's just it's crazy to see. Like, and you know, like for me, for example, it, I understand why people have weight issues. Like, we don't really give people a fair chance in the public education system to eat healthy. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that, too, because it's not like, I think the problem is, too, that, for example, the other day I did a taste test with Kale, and I I had one of the um, teachers try it, and she's like, whoa, like, I actually didn't know Kale tastes like this, and I was just very confused, like, how do you, what, like, how, what, I'm, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, it's always so, like, gross. Like, what did you do to it? And then I realized I just massaged the kale. Like, I had no idea you were supposed to massage kale, like, maybe three months ago. And then I massaged the kale for the salad, and it was a difference. So I feel like knowing ingredients and, like, knowing how to make things taste better, I guess. I don't really know if that makes sense, but that definitely um, helps to make things, like, things that you wouldn't normally eat taste better. So, like, cauliflower or, like, Brussels sprouts that like scares kids but if you're like oh I roasted some Brussels sprouts and then I put some garlic on it and cheese then they'll be like whoa like Brussels sprouts I'll eat those but if you're just gonna boil Brussels sprouts 
and then put salt and pepper. Like, no one wants to eat that. No. No one wants to eat stinky Brussels sprouts if it's just salt and pepper and they're boiled. Yeah, no. No, not at all. Um, That's definitely a thing. But um, anyway, I'm going on a tangent again. Going back to school and lunches. Um, basically, the cafeteria gets like a dollar fifty, I believe. I'm probably a few cents off. Um, which is crazy per, for meal, right? Yeah, per, yeah, a dollar fifty for two meals because technically they have to give them breakfast in New York, and then um for lunch. So a dollar fifty, when you really think about it, is like nothing. And therefore, they have to meet the standards that the – I don't even know what it's called. I'm really bad at this because I do know some about this, but I'm not, like, in the kitchen directly, so. Yeah. No, but it's, like, but, the system that they have in place for school lunches. Exactly. So, like, your grilled cheese thing, I was in the cafeteria the other day, and I was talking to – the cafeteria manager and she's like well i have to make these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but it's like so much peanut butter like it's literally an ice cream scoop of peanut butter because they have to abide by the regulations yeah and when you think about it nobody wants that much peanut butter i mean some people do but like kids it's just too much for them they're just like oh it's just too much peanut butter and then some schools have like alternative menus so they have to follow that the school that i'm at they're doing meatless Mondays now, so that's, that's a cool. thing that we're gonna try to push kids. Yeah, so I mean, it's not the food's not terrible because we have the alternative menu, so they're offered different things. It's just, I think the problem is from my outside perspective, is that kids don't know what the food is, therefore they don't want to eat it. And a thing that we say with food court is don't yuck my yum, and we try to teach kids like. You can try it, and if you don't like it, that's okay. At least you tried it, but we're not going to yuck somebody's yum because yeah. they like it, so why are you judging? Yeah. And that definitely helps out because some kids, as soon as someone's like, oh, this tastes bad, then they're like, yeah, it tastes disgusting. But really, they just ask for another piece when the other person that said it tastes bad isn't looking because they want to be cool. Yeah. And they don't eat something that someone thinks is gross. No. And, you know, it's just, it's sad to see the, the general lack of knowledge of food in school. I mean, I, f- I don't know. I just feel like yeah. we just scrape by. And also, the community that I'm served at, servicing at, that's the word, served at, I'm serving at, serving at, um, they don't have Whole Foods. They don't have Trader Joe's. They have Stop and Shop and then Bodegas. So yeah. there's not a lot of options for produce. Just your typical things that you get. Like even when I go into the Stop and Shop, the cereal aisle has cereal that's like Sour Patch Kids cereal. I've never even heard of that in my life. Like it's literally just so much sugary cereal. And so like – it's just gross. Like, there's not a lot of options for healthy food there. And I mean, yes, they're getting better at it. But, again, it's too expensive. Yeah. And people already have to work 
a lot of hours to begin with. So trying to buy healthy food is not what is on their mind. No, and most people buy processed food. Um, I mean, I grew up in a low-income family, and you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the meals were like instant mashed potatoes, uh, canned beef stew, like you know, like really like uh, humble canned processed foods, like rice aroni, yeah. hamburger helper, like all that stuff, which is good. It tastes good, but like it's not good for you. And a lot of people like that's all they have. And I, and I feel like school, you know, school can be a great thing for people because it can put them on the right track and it can educate them. And if we're going to educate them in all these other aspects, uh, why don't we educate them on like what they're putting into their bodies? Yeah, exactly. And I think also to, to branch off on um, what you just said about eating like canned food and stuff, it's definitely not because our family like doesn't care. It's just because, again, like no one is there to be like, hey, if you buy $25 worth of all this stuff, like it could be produce, for example, and then rice, whatever – then you can cook it this way and it'll be good for you and it'll taste good. Like they don't have that. And I think that's also a big part of what I'm trying to do too is go into the community and try to show them like the options that they can do. So um, I'm like trying to think what you just said. And I was going to say something, but I forgot. About hamburger helper and how – it tastes good, but it's not good for you. <laughs> Hamburger helper. I actually never got that. Um, okay, so where I'm working, I do food box, which is like $30 worth of farm fresh vegetables and fruit. And then they do demos. So the other day they had like vegetable jambalaya. Mm-hmm. So they'll have recipes for people and they can buy the produce for a lot cheaper. Because if they were to go to like the supermarket – it'd be a lot more expensive. So that's one way of trying to show the community like, hey, like this is really easy to make and it's good for you and it tastes good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's such a large issue and like there's no like right answer and like, you know, I I don't want, like I barely know about the food school system. All I know is how I grew up and what I ate and what I was taught was not acceptable and not adequate enough and you know, as right. I progress throughout my career, I would like to hold like hold a position where I'm a part of, you know, figuring this out and helping this out. Um, but I still do think that I do need to learn more about restaurants and profitability and, you know, because at the end of the day, people, if people are losing money on it, they're obviously not going to care about it, uh, which is yeah. sad, but it's true. Um, so, I mean, like, when I think of what what do you think we as like cooks who are, you know, not doing what you do? Who, like is like what do you think we should be doing? To, like should we be preparing to help in like a couple of years? Or like should we be going to do demos? Like what do you think someone like our age who's not doing what you're doing can go do right now to help out? Well, honestly, first it's just like thinking that you're not going to go to the community and change it. Like you're there as an ally and that's what's really important because a lot of people have this savior mentality where they're like, I need to fix this community. But really it's not about fixing. It's just making sure that people 
have the same privileges that you have. So it's just coming in and being that friend that's like, hey, my friends don't have food and why don't they? And just going into the community and helping and in the sense of just teaching them what you know and not trying to be degrading in any way and trying your best to listen. And I think that's what's really important is definitely just listening, hearing what they have to say and trying to be their voice for them when a lot of other people are like kind of like not really stepping on them, but they're not letting their voices be heard. And I think that's what's one of the major problems because if you like sit down and talk to the community, a lot of people, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Like a lot of people don't know. Like it, I know. I just think I know where you're going. Is like, like for me, for I'll use my family for example. I went to yeah. culinary school and I found out what foie gras was and the Michelin stars were and all this I stuff. Didn't know what that was either. <laughs> no, I didn't know what it was. And I um no, but like I told my family, like you know, I come back and I'm like, oh, why are we not eating all this? Like, why are we uh you know? And they're like, what the hell are you even talking about? And I came yeah. off as very uh, obnoxious and I mean, I still kind yeah. of do sometimes, but and now it's more of like a joke or any more than anything else like da- like dad why aren't you eating the chicken liver mousse but no like people like if you're not even yeah. on their if you're not even on their plane of understanding what food is or if you can't empathize down to what they understand what food is they're not going to listen to you exactly and they're going to see it as privilege yeah so again like the food core saying is healthy food is a right not a privilege so i really enjoyed that quote um because it's right and like you said, when I went home and I'm like, hey, I want to go to a Michelin star restaurant for my birthday. And my mom's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, you know, three stars, Michelin, four star restaurant. My mom's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And even like with my family, like last summer I went to the farmer's market and I bought them water, buffalo, mozzarella, and heirloom tomatoes. Made this like balsamic vinaigrette glaze thing. My mom's like, they're not going to eat that just because she just assumed that they wouldn't because they're not going to like it. It's too foo-foo, you know? I don't know. My mom, that's too foo-foo. And obviously just making sure that you're not walking into the community and being like, you're doing this wrong and you're not eating healthy. No, it's not that at all. They're trying their best (laughs) and they just don't have a lot of options. Yeah, I mean, and it's very hard to, you know, when you have, when you're on food stamps or when you're struggling financially to make ends meet, it's very uh, hard to put organic kale as like your top priority, you know? Exactly. Or even just making dinner in general because some parents have more than one job. Or sometimes it's like the grandma that's cooking. And in that case, like we both had, it's just more of like convenience rather than like indulging in food. Yeah, I mean, like I don't. We really only went to one. Like when I think, like we went to a lot of nice restaurants. Don't like not like night like good restaurants. Like we went to like solid restaurants when I was like growing up. But we only ever went to one really like fine dining place, I, as I remember growing up. And we never really like went out a lot to anything other than chain restaurants and. But, like, until I was, like, 16, I thought Olive Garden was the highest level of fine dining you could eat. Yeah. Like, so did I. I thought it was – I had no idea what Michelin star, like, restaurants were or anything like that. Yeah. And also, I, like, what's up? 
Uh, I was just going to like say that my family came from the Bronx and then they moved to New Jersey just to get out of here to give like us better options in their opinion because they felt that us going to school here would I don't know I guess help us to grow and they were worried that we wouldn't I guess essentially yeah because I see it like every day and like I don't even know some people have been living in the Bronx like their entire lives and it's like fascinating to them that my family moved to New Jersey. Like it's weird. Yeah. In Jersey, it's like weird that my family is from the Bronx because everyone in Jersey is always lived in Jersey. So we always were a different family, I guess. Not in a bad way. It was just like we were that family that was just not sticking to the norms of what everyone else was kind of doing. No, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, props to you and props to me, like, to leave and go away and go live in, like, California was, like, wild for people I knew back home. Like, to be in Chicago now and, like, be in Houston, like, everyone's like, what? Like, that's, like, to them, it's, like, crazy, but it's, like, no, it's just, like, there's more out there. And, you know, I think there's such a big disconnect. I I especially think there's such a big disconnect from – cooks in our industry or see like culinary school graduates or cooks who are in fine dining because they get to fine dining and then they're like not that they don't like like a lot of people i know like in the industry of fine dining or elevated cuisine like the simple things but they almost see it as like a level in which they like cooked and then they can never go back to it but the reality is is that most people in our world eat on that level and so i feel like a lot of people are going to be, I don't want to say unsuccessful, but I feel like it's going to be hard for a lot of people to connect with a larger group if they don't understand that, you know, even in fine dining, like the best chefs in the world find ways to make you feel like it's home cooking or like it's something relatable. Or they try to make something so extremely out of the ordinary that it's like a discovery of like a new type of cuisine. Either way, like you have to have an understanding of what people, most people eat. And I feel like a lot of us, don't have that because we go to the school and we i loved it but we get a sense of what food could be and we love that what food could be but the reality is most people don't even know that's the what food could be and we just are on different planes of thinking than them and i think that is harmful when we're trying to have conversations with people who are struggling yeah i definitely agree with that so in terms of like what can someone who's working in fine dining want to do I think like doing demos definitely helps. Um, just literally going to the community, talking to people. And then honestly, just like volunteering your time. And I don't know, I guess just like showing them what you learned and like sharing that with people. Just sharing what you love to do to anyone means a lot. Like if someone were to come up to me and share to me that they love gardening, then I would love that because that's something that they're really passionate about. And then they can give me like tips on it. And I appreciate that. And I know a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, what was I going to say? Also some kids, when they come to school, that's like the only food they have. Yeah. So why'd your voice get so deep? I don't know. 
It was it was <laughs> weird. I don't know why I said yep that low. Um, it was like a different octave. Um, <laughs> no, but you're right. Like, and then the issue with that is okay. So the only meal for their ent- oh, the only solid meal they go for their entire day is something that's like garbage. So then they're not going to have any connection to food at all. They're like, they're, okay, like food sucks. Like that's going to be in their mind. And yeah, exactly. for a long time, that's kind of how, like, I love food, but I was never, I never had this feeling of like, wow, it could be so much more. And yeah, exactly. It took me going to the best culinary school in the world to realize that. And most people don't do that. So I don't know. It's just like, and then like, I don't know, like I see, like, I see what people are like, like I see friends from back home or people I know from back home on Facebook or social media and they're like this food that doesn't look that great. They're like sharing. It's like, Oh my God, this looks so good. Or like, this is like the best. And I know it's like terrible for them. And, but they have no frame of reference of what food could be. And yeah. so I think it's just more about sharing that in a way that isn't um, obnoxious. Yes, exactly. I agree with that. Too. And that's why I didn't like, that's for me, like that's why I didn't want to continue on with Michelin is because you know, and maybe later on I will want to, I don't know, but like in some capacity, but like, I just feel like the general population of people enjoy food that's accessible. And I feel like when you have to pay $200 for a meal, it's not that accessible. And it's like why I'm into things like ramen because it's cheap, but there's a lot of technique and skill involved or pasta. And so I don't know. I don't know if you have the same feeling towards it, but I've kind of lost my, uh, my wonderment for like, I love eating at Michelin restaurants and I love the creativity, but in terms of like that being my goal in my career, it's just not something I really want to focus on anymore. I mean, I kind of get it. I've never actually worked at a Michelin star restaurant. I've worked at an exclusive country club, mm-hmm. but to me, not that I don't want to do that. I think the problem, not really problem, but like lack of better words is just like, it's kind of, glorified to be that celebrity chef that works in a Michelin star restaurant and most people want to strive to be that chef that's like really cool and has an awesome restaurant and no one's thinking like hey I should go to an underserved community and I can be a really cool chef because that's not what you think of you're just like oh they're just working in that community and that's it no like I think it's more of trying to be like Thomas Keller or like Dan Barber like those are all really good chefs and they're really cool but then like all the other people that are really trying to I don't know I guess bring more attention to communities that really needed help like for example Karen Washington she's a huge food advocate and she's from the Bronx but most people don't know who that is and I think it's honestly a shame because she's trying to help her community and she's barely known or like um brigade and like how dan juicy juicy Um, yeah so like he is going like he worked at noma and then he went to connecticut and started working in their school lunches and then there he's serving some schools in the Bronx. I actually visited the school. I haven't like gone in to see what Brigade's doing yet. I'm probably going to do that soon. Um, But again, it's just like the importance of doing that. But no, like I think also the problem is some people like really want to get like recognition for what they're doing. 
Yeah, it's but, all ego. I mean, it's all ego driven at the end of the day. Every because you admire these chefs and their hard work, and like you want to be admired. Like at the end of the day, everyone wants to be admired for something. Exactly. Uh, I just think like we have. I'd rather be. I'd rather like look up to Dan Juicy than a lot of Michelin chefs. Not knocking them. Like I look up to. I look up to almost everyone's in industry who's successful. I really am appreciative of. But I really like when chefs like. Uh, Jose Andres like takes what he's built and uses it for something so much greater than just being a chef. Um, exactly. And I think that's what's really important too is like using your platform. Yeah, to, I mean, that's why I started this is like to help in some way. Yeah, definitely. And I appreciate it too because you talk about topics that most people like don't even think about or like talk about like being in the weeds or I saw that you have like what to bring to a stage, even though some people are like, oh, that's probably like so simple. But when I first started my first stage, I had no idea. What the funny thing is like, I didn't even, I didn't, I think I mentioned like four tools. I actually talked about the mindset. Like, oh, okay. I didn't listen to it yet. Sorry. No, you're good. But like, no, like that's the, that's why I named it that. Cause I wanted people to go in and be like, all right, what? Well, and then like, actually like, it's all about the mindset. You can bring whatever fancy knife you want you need to be there mentally. Um, yeah. So I agree. That's the episode when you, when you listen to it, yeah, definitely well, give me some feedback, but uh, I yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard my name, I was like, Oh, I can't listen to this. Cause I was, I was in the car with my mom. <laughs> I was like, mom, listen to my friend, right? He has his own podcast. And I just so happened to pick that one. And I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. He's going to talk about me. And I hear my friend, Rachel. I was like, Oh, <laughs> Well, now you have your own episode, so you can you can share it with everyone. Um, yeah, well, you know, we've been talking about this for the last half hour. Uh, I think, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm proud to see what you're doing, and I think it's very honorable. Um, and if you have any, like you said, like if you have that person who's doing this in the Bronx, maybe they'll be on the podcast. Like, I, my hope is to help spread this message and help spread what you're working on because I think it's such a good cause and. I think more awareness in the industry will only benefit us as a society. So, yeah, definitely. And if anyone wants to come talk, I would appreciate that. I'm trying to get more people from outside the community to come in and talk, as well as people from inside the community to talk about like what they do, because well, I think that's like inspiring. Because I can only say so much, but I think for kids, it's cooler to be like, "Whoa!" Like this chef is coming in and they're from somewhere in the Bronx too. And they're doing this. And I don't know. I think it's um, pretty inspiring. Well, I mean, I think now is a good time as any, you know, the last topic of the podcast I wanted to get into is your little, is your, uh, your new social media campaign, the sustainability gangster Instagram page. Um, and kind of how mm-hmm. you've been building that, uh, want to talk to me about, you know, what the thought process was behind, making the page, how you came up with the sustainability gangster name. It might be the best name on Instagram. Uh, what were your <laughs> thoughts on it? Okay. So at first when I started, I kind of just wanted to bring um, basically what I do to like Instagram and like share that with people. Cause I was sharing it on my main page, but I felt like it was annoying, I guess, like always like showing that stuff. So I thought maybe if I put it on a different page and actually like, get followers and people that are actually interested in gardening and whatnot, that would be more beneficial to them. 
and on my page I just try to like do suggestions or like try to help people that are like gardening and tips that I wish I knew or that I do know and trying to share that because for example um the other day I was like watering um one of the garden beds and I thought I was watering it for a long time and the gardener was like look at this and then use the shovel and barely any of the water like went down so I'm like oh my god like I wish I knew that so luckily I didn't know that so I recorded it and then I put that on my page and then that's just to like show like hey like you know god keep watering just stuff like that and I mean a lot of people think gardening is really scary and honestly it's one of my favorite things to do because not only is it super relaxing but it's super rewarding because one day you'll have literally just a sprout and then the next week it's like a giant turnip so I'm probably gonna post that today because we had some really nice turnips and radishes um I don't know and I I uh I guess I try to like put different recipes too like I had some vegan recipes just because why not and how did I get the name well um this one lady was saying how in the Bronx that she was like a sustainability gangster and I'm like whoa I really like that <laughs> so so, I basically stole this lady's name I stole it and I'm using it so the sustainability I was, gang I mean yeah you could you gotta yeah. you gotta get your hashtags up because you you have the potential to make some pretty cool uh you're right hashtag is on Instagram and wherever else you go well, I'm excited to see it uh grow so thanks I was gonna do garden but that was like totally taken so awesome well um yeah i mean cool i mean that that's been an hour podcast rachel i mean i know you were nervous but i didn't even talk about what i wanted to talk about so what do you want to talk about i mean we have time i don't know i i guess like we were talking about lunch but then i like really got off topic with it that there's no off topic i mean this it's just a conversation. Well, I mean, what what other points would you like to make about lunch, or what other things um, should people know? I don't, even, I don't know. I guess like my concern is the difficulty that the cafeteria staff has. Like, I don't know. We think about school. It's not really like oh, everyone's best friends at the school that works together. Like, there's like a lot of disconnect within the school too. Like, yeah. Teachers don't even know the cafeteria manager's name. Which I so, you, so you think there's a lot, lack of transparency and communication even in the schools that are trying to make it better? Exactly. Okay. And I think hmm. that's a really big issue, in my opinion, because, I don't know, like, when I'm working in a restaurant, I'm going to be kind to literally everybody. And I see some people that are like super rude to just dishwashers. And I mean, I, when I first started my job at Garden Cafe, I had to help wash dishes. So I understand that struggle. Mm-hmm. And my dad taught me to be like, literally be kind to everyone. So I don't understand why it's like how people see dishwashers lower than them when I don't understand why they do really hard work. Dishwashing is not fun. It's gross. Your hands get disgusting and really dry. And then you smell terrible and you're like soaking wet half the time. And everyone's just like, oh, hey, can you wash this? Not even like a please or thank you. And I just feel like, I don't know, I just feel like that's not just with 
dishwashers. It's with the cafeteria staff. It's with the janitors. And it's, I just don't understand why people have to do that anyway. Like, why do we have to treat each other like shit? Like, why can't we all just work together and try to help our community to be better? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Stop being, stop being rude, people. Like, stop being rude to the dishwashers. Like, just be nice. Um, Yeah. And, I mean, that's a big, that's, I mean, we talked about it already, but that's a big issue. It's like food is not seen as important in many organizations or schools or anything in general, it seems sometimes. And then furthermore, like when you're in the kitchen, like you, I just think we take for granted the things that are like integral, but because we've had them for so long, we don't like, like if you didn't have a dishwasher for a week and then they came back, you'd be nothing but nice to them, you know? yeah and i think that's with a lot of things like if you don't have something then you're gonna take it for granted yeah so well i mean i hope that issue gets better within schools as a whole because i do know that when i was in my school it was an issue definitely an issue um definitely is i don't know like you said just be nice to people that's all just be positive and just like teach uh you know like for our school system why don't we just teach our students basic fundamental cooking techniques and food like you know like it's a joke i feel like it's cliche in culinary school or in the cooking world or i guess in general like i mean i i see the facebook memes and stuff about like you know that algebra really helped me out but it, it's there's yeah. kind of some truth in it it's like i don't i didn't need to learn about half of the stuff that i did i forgot most of it I the stuff that I wasn't interested in, I at least forgot. And like, yes, it's great to learn about history and math and science. And, you know, obviously many jobs require that, but everyone requires to cook and to feed themselves and to sustain themselves. And yeah. we don't, we don't promote that at all in, in the food system. And so or in system. bring back home economics. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even call it that. Yeah. Why can't we just call it cooking? Yeah, I agree with that. I think cooking and gardening should yeah. be a class that's taught everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't even get like I get the name home economics, but no, there should be literally a course for cooking. Like, it's such an important act of what you do as a person. Oh, for like, sure. I just don't. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like some cooking classes aren't even. I don't. I want to say this, but I don't want to offend anyone. Um, some cooking classes are just Dorito chicken in the microwave. And yeah. how is that a cooking class? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I don't know who's listening, so you make Dorito chicken in the microwave, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that's funny. So before we end, I just want to ask like I guess so what are some I mean like, what are some things you're interested in in terms of media, books? Is there anything you would recommend? Podcasts? I don't know. Is there anything that doesn't even have to be about farming or just stuff in general that you're interested in right now? Um, definitely podcasts. I like to listen to Eaters um, Digest. That one's really entertaining. Okay. Um, I go to a lot of panels. I mean, I have to go to them because of work. It like forces hours, but I actually really enjoy them because there's a lot of people talking about topics that aren't really talked about, and they're very passionate about it. 
So I definitely recommend going to panels if you see any. Um, yeah, I went to Econ in Queens and there was a panel on school lunch. And again, there was like nobody in the tent and everyone was at a tent where there was like, like people from wineries talking. So that, that right there just shows like we need to care a little bit more. Like, yeah, wineries are cool and stuff. But that panel had really good conversation that I wish more people attended. And I don't know. I've been reading this one book. Hold on. It's in my backpack. Don't even know the name of it. My boyfriend gave it to me. The Pot Liquor Papers, A Food History of the Modern South. So that's I've a, heard of that. Yeah, that's a good one. I really enjoy that one so far. I'm, I'm still in the beginning. Um, watching documentaries, definitely. I don't know. I guess just like if you don't like to read, then I definitely recommend watching documentaries and listening to podcasts. Yeah. That's why. Because I'm, I'm not a big reader. Not because I don't like reading, but because it's hard for me to sit down in one place and just like relax. Like I don't know how to relax. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I mean, I had to put on like music in order to read. Yeah. Like in the background. Yeah. I have to do something. Um, if I'm very rare that you'll actually see me reading for like an hour like it's just one thing okay um my uh my last question well i mean i have two more questions i always end the interviews with one but uh is it but i don't know what's up i feel like you knew what questions you're gonna ask and i wish you told me before so i can prepare for them no i actually didn't i don't have a list at all oh okay this is awkward being completely honest these have all been off the top of my head Okay, alrighty. I don't like writing down questions anymore. Why? Um, just because I feel like I sh- it's too structured. And I feel like our conversation was a lot better. And if I would have had a timeline, it would have went... I mean, I have general ideas, but... Yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. The most important question of the podcast, which I don't even know if you are... If you have a, any type of feeling in this battle. But is it pork roll or is it Taylor Ham? Oh, it is Taylor Ham. Okay, I guess you are passionate about this. I am passionate because people in South Jersey will fight me and say it's pork roll. I mean, yeah, it's pork roll, but that just, that just sounds gross. So I'd rather say Taylor Ham. Okay. And Taylor Ham, the... egg and cheese on everything bagel. It's good. It's pretty solid. Um, what uh, For the people who don't, for everyone besides me and the rest of New Jersey listeners, what the hell is pork roll? Um, I don't even know to be honest. Man, I don't even know either. It's I don't what, know. Like, I, just, I just eat it. And it's good. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up right now. What is pork roll? It's uh, I was my closest. I would say it's like a breakfast bologna. Like, yeah, but that just doesn't sound good. Like it's just ham, I guess. I know. Technically, tail pork roll. I'm pretty it's sure that it's like the whole big round into a paste and then formed into a roll yeah that's probably what it is i don't even know what it is but i'm glad you answered that because i know it's a topic a hot topic in new jersey and i i I needed to have you on the record yeah i can't remember what chef kwork said he was on here like a couple months ago and i asked him the same one i don't remember i want to say it was taylor ham i could be wrong um and if i'm wrong north for south jersey really I'm pretty sure Connor says pork roll. 
Yeah, I think he says poor girl too. I'm pretty sure Spencer's a Taylor him. I don't know. Uh, these are for, for those of you listening. These are friends from school. Um, anyway, so well, you know what is it? So you've been on the podcast. I know we, it's taken us like a month to do this, but yeah. I'm glad we sat down and actually got an hour to talk. What does it mean for you to be a part of the Lion Cook Nation, a group of cooks, chefs, people in the industry who are trying to become better connected and better knowledgeable about the topics impacting us today? What does it mean for me? Yeah. What does it mean for you to to be on the podcast and well, kind of share your story? Honestly, it means a lot that you like even wanting me to be on it because that made me feel nice. So I was like, oh, you actually want me on your podcast? And you like chatted about me briefly. So I was like, oh, this is you're gassing me up here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It feels nice because definitely like working, like I said, somewhere where you're not really getting paid a lot you're not getting recognition and you're seeing your friends like do really cool stuff and like do I don't know like Michelin star things that seem really fun and I don't really know techniques about like yeah sometimes you know it's like dang I get a little jealous and I want to be doing that but at the end of the day like I enjoy what I'm doing and I don't know makes me feel nice that you still like I guess the problem is people like don't consider me a chef really they're just like oh she's just Rachel working at blah 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 but you know you can be a chef still and help the community and I think that's why wouldn't you be a chef I'm confused because I mean the whole the whole point of being a chef is to cook for others and I mean you're literally impacting the lives and trying to make the lives of children better by teaching them and showing them how to cook so i mean mm-hmm. i would consider what you're doing more chef like than what most do so thanks well, that's my opinion i appreciate that no, no problem um well like i said thanks for coming on uh do you want to plug your uh, all your social media real quick i know we talked about sustainability gangster but i don't know if you want to plug your other instagram or yeah. if you just want to stick with go ahead um i'm okay yeah sure so follow me on my instagram sustainability gangster which is probably in ray's story eventually um mm-hmm. thanks for all those shout out shout outs by the way and then no I my regular instagram fast was rachel if you don't want to follow that's fine but follow the sustainability <laughs> you all should definitely follow both rachel thank you so much for coming on i wish right. you the best of luck and i'm sure you'll be back on this won't be the only one. Oh, okay um, We'll talk. We'll have to talk more about this topic because it it shouldn't just be a thirty minute segment on a show. It should be something that we constantly talk about. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Raymond. We'll see you later. Okay. Bye. So there you have it. The episode with Rachel Vasquez. I like I said. I hope you all enjoy, and I just hope you all. Uh, take some thoughts, take some moments, take some thoughts and think about our school food system and what it is that we are teaching the next generation of people coming into this country about food in general. Uh, like I said, you know, it's uh, it's very honorable what she's doing and I'm so proud of her. And there's so many other chefs out there like Dan Juicy from Brigade, you know, just people trying to make a difference. And, you know, I definitely in some point would like to have a role in some capacity helping out in uh, trying to fix what our uh, school lunches are. And I hope you all have that aspiration at some point. And, you know, I just think uh, we all need to come together and just be there for others who don't even know what good food might be. So like I said, thank you all so much. And I will see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast.